Well, we want to talk tonight about being faith-fueled, because this past weekend I was in Manitoba, that's a province east of where I live, and I was ministering, and I went on faith, not feelings. Um, I didn't feel like going, and so I ignored my feelings, and I just simply went on faith. I once promised God that I would never ask for a speaking engagement, and I would never say no when asked, and I had two speaking engagements during the weekend. So spiritually, emotionally, mentally, I was not in the best space. I am working through the big picture of life right now, 50 years to the day of the first time that I preached, and normally these trips I'm excited about, enthusiastic about, but this particular one, I had no feeling whatsoever. I just went because I was invited and I had promised God I'd always say yes. And so therefore I went on faith. Uh, normally the trip involves six or seven days, um, but this time I boiled it down to two days, removing all of the other things and just keeping the events where I would be preaching and teaching. I went by faith because God told me to do so many decades ago, and there were two opportunities to teach. I had no expectation, no excitement, no anticipation. I couldn't tell you I had faith in action. I just felt like it was the same old, same old. Saturday night, I taught in one city. After driving for nine hours, I spent two hours preparing some sermon notes and then the service itself, which lasted about six hours. And then Sunday, on very little sleep, I got up and had two hours of sermon review again at the coffee shop and taking some notes. A three-hour service, four hours with the pastor and another leader and their wives, and then a seven-hour drive home. On the Saturday night service, there was a worship practice, and I arrived in time to see it happening. And then when service started, which was late as normal, we had a short video with a so-so prophetic word. I mean, a word that I wasn't impressed with, and I wasn't sure why we were being shown it. And then the leader got up and said that she would like us to be praying in the Spirit. And so people got up, came forward, and we began to pray in the Spirit. And for me, it was like a 747 taking off. It started slow at first, it rattled, it shook, it rumbled, but eventually it did take off. And worship flowed out of this, and, and the worship was different. Although I had been there and the overheads were ready and I, was, I saw what they were planning to sing, when it came time for worship, there were no overheads, no instruments, and they sang familiar choruses that were not in the practice route. They were not on the, on the list of songs that they had prepared ahead of time. And inside of me, I could feel faith building. The book of Jude, verse 20 says, But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And so by faith, I went. And as I went and involved myself in this service and gave it all I had to give, I went filled with faith, to being faith-filled. I could feel the faith rising inside of me. And I stood up to speak and shared on hearing God's voice. We had a questions and answers and interactive type teaching session. And then the leader had asked me to prophesy over two people. And so we were winding down for the night. It was getting late. And I called the first one up. And then I really 
felt the spirit urging me to go to the back and prophesy over a lady sitting in the back. That was not one that the leader had asked me to do, but it wasn't scheduled, but I knew it was the leading of the spirit. Um, and then I called the second person up and prophesied over her, and then I prophesied over the evening's worship leader, again, not scheduled. So four seriously powerful and deeply in-depth in depth prophetic words, the best I have done in a year. And then some fellowship and a serious late night as usual. Here's what I realized. I originally went to the events on that weekend by faith, which turned into knowing my faith had been activated and grew and had become stronger on the inside. So going by faith it became faith-filled, and that's good. Uh, prophecy and praying in tongues will do this. And so then... Because I was faith-filled, I had some expectancy, a little anticipation, a bit of excitement, and I stepped out to teach and prophesy. My words, actions, and attitude became fueled by my faith. And so I went from going by faith to being faith-filled to being faith-fueled. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, being faith-fueled. As believers, we sometimes simply have given up, and no longer believe that anything will change. We believe in God and our salvation, but as to bringing any change to our circumstances or situation, well, to be honest, nothing will change. Little has changed, and we have little to no faith that anything else will change. At other times, believers stand in faith, believe in God, and they are faith-filled and pray, and once in a while, rather infrequently, we actually see God move. But I believe God wants us to step out, to move out, believing even when we don't see, don't understand, and people will think we're a nut job. James chapter 2, in a number of verses, verse 14 and 18 to 20, literally states that faith apart from works is useless. Faith is not faith. If you don't act on it and step out, even when you don't feel like it, and even when you don't fully understand, and even when you can't see how things will ever work out right. I arrived home, and I'm thinking about all of this while walking my dog, and God reminded me of a verse I read many years ago and noted in the margin of my Bible. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 11, and I'm reading it from the message version. Don't burn out, keep yourself fueled and aflame, cheerfully expectant. Romans 12, verse 11, in the message version, don't burn out, keep yourself fueled and aflame, cheerfully expectant. Fueled and aflame. Faith-fueled is seeing things through God's perspective rather than our own and then moving forward. Let me tell you a true story. There's this young Christian, his name is Nick Hall, and he lived at the time of the story in North Dakota, and just weeks after he gave his life to Christ, he was invited to go to Madura in India on a mission trip. As he says in his book, where the story comes from, he arrived at a place called Total Culture Shock, a place with scores of Hindu and Islamic temples. 
At night he could hear the prayers of Hindus and Muslims rising up from the hills, beckoning their gods, begging for favor, faithfully following the rites of their respective religions. And during the day, they broke into teams, this group of young people who'd gone on this mission trip, and they ministered in schools and prisons. And at night, they ran citywide crusades in an outdoor area set up for 10,000 people who were expected to attend. However, it was pouring rain, and the field had turned to mud, and only 200 people showed up, not 10,000. And the team felt defeated, deflated, weak. And Nick wondered why God had brought him all this way to set the team up to fail. And the collective prayer of the team was, what is going on, God? After three consecutive nights of waterworks, light attendance, and soaked dress shoes, the team was ready to throw in the towel. They wondered what they were doing in India. They felt it was so all so pointless. Prepared, raised funds, trained, traveled. For what? Then on the fourth morning of the event run, an evangelist from Australia who was working with the team came into the hotel conference room where they were gathered to pray. And Nick writes, Given our dejected state, the Aussie's broad smile and chipper energy as he walked in seemed a little annoying. Guys, he said, you won't believe what I'm about to tell you. Let me read what Nick wrote. The only thing any of us wanted to hear was a favorable weather report, although I, for one, would also have welcomed news of where to find a good hamburger. Last night, the evangelist continues, I was headed to our outdoor venue with one of our local pastors, and it was pouring rain again. I asked the pastor if the people in this area thought that their gods were somehow defeating our god, and that the awful rainstorms somehow indicated to them that our god was not able to afford everyone a comfortable and dry place to meet. Our Aussie friend went on, So I'm asking the pastor all of these things, and he turns to me and says, Haven't you heard? This part of India is dependent on its agriculture, and it hasn't rained in months. People have been dying due to a lack of food in the midst of this drought and the famine. As pastors, we believe the hope of Jesus proclaimed would lift the people's hearts. So we promoted the campaign throughout this entire region. The promotion was so successful that whether people had any interest in coming, everyone knew that these events would commence on January the 28th. And on the day of January 28th, the very evening the promoted events were to begin, the heavens opened and the rain poured down. Our Aussie colleague then said, At this the pastor turned to me ecstatic, saying, People don't think their gods are defeating yours. Not at all. Word is reaching through the villages that the God of the Christians has brought the rain. Nick states, We thought God needed our voices when all he needed was our presence. We had placed our hope in the power of small sound systems to carry a message when God intended to use the sound system of the heavens all along. As the evangelist's update soaked into our team's minds and hearts, we couldn't help but laugh. How had we totally missed the fact that God always has purposes beyond what we can see? We felt like total jerks before God. 
If we prayed then and there on the spot, we would have said, here we are, your beloved idiots will never question you again, God. Eventually, the rain did stop during the trip, and in the end, more than 50,000 people that we know of surrendered their lives to Jesus. More than that, all of southern India had been exposed to our miracle-working God. On the flight home, Nick says, I remember thinking, you just never know with God. You never fully know what he's up to, how, who he's after, how he is working all things together for good. I love to think about what it will take, be like in heaven when we'll have greater perspective on all that happened down here. I picture getting to watch a highlight reel of my life, seeing things from God's all-encompassing point of view. Every six seconds I'll be saying, oh wow, that's what that was about. I was complaining the whole time that experience unfolded, but now I see. That was amazing. While we're still living these earthbound lives, Nick writes, we don't tend to consider the hard things that happen to us as very amazing at all, which is why faith is so critical to a person trying to follow Jesus. Faith is seeing through God's perspective rather than our own. So, Let's look up the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 11, you know it's familiar. It's called the faith chapter or the hall of faith, and it defines faith as confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. While confidence and assurance sound great, for many people those terms have nothing to do with their actual faith. When it comes to the practical day-to-day existence you and I and everyone else is trying to hold together, faith doesn't often factor in. Confidence in what we hope for. Really? Nope. We'd rather place confidence in where we've been, what we've done, what is real, what is known. Assurance about what we do not see? No thanks. We're only sure about what our five senses can detect. Hebrews 11 verse 2 says that faith is what distinguishes our ancestors and set them above the crowd. And because that says that, in my mind I'm thinking, well then, faith should distinguish us and set us apart from non-believers. And then Hebrews 11 verse 6 goes on to say that without faith, without this confidence, without this assurance, it is impossible to please God. So apparently we need faith. We need to see things from God's perspective. But when we read the whole of chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews, we have to ask ourselves, do we really want to be like them? Talk about being known as a nut job and a lunatic. People probably regarded Abraham as a nut job and a lunatic. Do you ever wonder what kind, what this kind of radical faith would look like today? Hmm. Imagine some 75-year-old man, we'll call him Warren, who suddenly started having visions. He couldn't explain what was happening. Was his wife trying some new ingredients in her beef casserole? Had he been getting enough sleep? Soon after the visions came, a voice said to him, Leave everything, pack what you can, grab your family, and hit the road. I'll give you directions later. Can you imagine if Warren was your uncle? or grandfather, and called to give you the news that he was going to ditch all his earthly possessions, his home, his car, his sweet lazy boy recliner, 
and head off to who knows where and possibly live there for the rest of his life? I think most of us would think it was time to put Uncle Warren in a nursing home. And yet my story about Warren is basically just that of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham shows us the guy who was known as the father of our faith. At age 75, he was called by God to leave everything. Perhaps more astonishing still, he said, yes. By faith, Abraham set out to follow God. He had confidence. He had assurance. And when we are invited into an adventure with Jesus, then why is our first instinct to turn to human reason rather than to divine intervention? We typically, really, we typically don't see life situations through the lens of faith. If we did, we would see from a totally different perspective, God's perspective. And God wants us to be thriving as we live a faith-fueled life, a life that sees things from God's perspective. But most people I talk to are disillusioned with God and aren't all that interested in taking Jesus seriously or being his friend. Maybe they used to love God, but now they're indifferent. Maybe they used to be passionate about seeing lives transformed in the name of Jesus, but now they are lacking the hunger and they're just simply coasting through life. Maybe they used to feel excited about the adventure of going God's way, but now they're skeptical about whether he really cares for them at all. And maybe they never had real faith to begin with, and they're sick and tired of being let down. No matter where we are coming from, a fresh perspective, a faith perspective is available. We can do more than check the box on the form to mark Christian. We can experience and know Jesus in a fresh new way. We can actually thrive in a faith-fueled life. And so if you are tired of living for nothing more than your hopes, your dreams, your desires, and your needs, and you want to start living beyond yourself, Jesus stands ready to reset your faith. If you're bored from praying prayers that you can manage on your own, and you want to start boldly petitioning all of heaven to radically change the world, Jesus stands ready to reset your faith. If you had it with singing how great is our God and then living like he's really, really small, Jesus stands ready to reset your faith. If you have grown cynical about whether God still lives and moves and breathes in and through his people, whether there are still miracles in our midst, whether your life is destined for more than a lackluster existence that tragically resembles a gerbil running his scrawny legs ragged on a wheel going nowhere fast, Jesus stands ready to reset your faith. But you have to first say no to the Christianity that states you can be safe, secure, and comfortable. And you have to say yes to being challenged, stretched, and changed as you live by faith. Personally, I'm no longer satisfied with what I have and what I'm experiencing in the Christian faith. I want to have the sort of continual impact that can only be explained in terms of people living a faith-fueled life. 
I want to have the sort of impact in terms that people can only explain in terms of God's activity in and through each of our lives, in terms of daily times when we're totally God-dependent, in terms of living a life that is bigger than ourselves. Folks, there is no growth inside the comfort zone. Outside the comfort zone is where faith thrives. <clears throat> so I began to pray. And I began to pray for our faith to be increased, that we would see the reality of Jesus daily, that we would savor or taste the reality of Jesus daily, and that we would share the reality of Jesus with other people daily. In the prophet Habakkuk, Chapter 1, the prophet is complaining to God about all of the injustice, the hardship, and depravity he saw in the world around him. And Habakkuk's world was very similar to our world, with a lot of evil and a lot of not nice things happening, and most of them happening to God's people. So Habakkuk says in chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, justice never goes forth, the wicked surround the righteous, justice goes forth perverted. Ever felt like that? I listen to your stories, the stories of many of the people that I relate to in numerous countries around the world, and I ask God, why? And I say to God, how long, O oh Lord, how long? I look at all the pain and injustice that goes on in the world, in our neighborhood, our city, our country, and I wonder why. I look at all of this, and sometimes I wonder where God is in this mess. So I found a friend in Habakkuk the prophet. I sit and read his words, his prayer, and I say, yep. What he said, God, doeth what he saith. God replies to the prophet in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Watch, God says, and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your day that you would not believe even if you were told ahead of time. So since Habakkuk wasn't so sure, he geared up for yet another complaint. In verse 13, God your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? I love this guy's courage, don't you? He is so confident in his understanding of the way things should be that he's holding God accountable. Talk about a bold move. Well, God offers a rebuttal to that complaint, too, and this time his reassurance works. It's good to note here that when arguing with God, there is really only one outcome. Which brings me to my favorite part of the story, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. We read the prophet's prayer as his heart and perspective have been shifted, literally reset by God. His faith has been reset. These are his final words back to God. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. 
Habakkuk said, Lord, I have heard of your fame. You know, some people are content to hear about God, all the stories, you know, about Moses and the Red Sea, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, David and Goliath, Virgin Mary and baby Jesus. But they never let those stories impact their own lives. Habakkuk took it to the next level when he said, I stand in awe of your deeds. It is often a common occurrence to hear story of, stories of God's power and goodness and then be awestruck as a result. But Habakkuk models a third dimension. So he hears of God's fame. He stands in awe of God's deeds. But thirdly, Habakkuk asks God to do it in his day. Do it again, God. For Habakkuk, faith-fueled living demanded more than following the status quo. The stories of God's faithfulness compelled Habakkuk to worship God for who he is and for all that he has done. And that awestruck experience compelled Habakkuk to call on the same wonder-working God to show himself in the same way in his day. Do it again, God, right here, right now, through us. So it can be a three-day water party, party during a mission trip to India. It can be the injustice and sin that is allowed to go unchecked on the earth or an issue in your life or in your family that is draining all the life out of you. Yet in all situations, we can see a common thread about the character of God. While we always focus on God changing the circumstances, God is always focused on changing us. So Psalm 24, verse 1 says, Remind us of what it means to be the people of faith. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So this confirms that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including the world and all its people, which by definition includes you and me. So faith says then, God, I trust you to be God in my life. I will walk with you even when I can't see where we're going. I will walk with you even when I don't understand why you allow all of this evil to happen. I will trust you with all of my days. Every day, I need to take a moment and see who has my heart. Every day, I have to ask, am I walking by faith in God, trusting and loving him with my whole heart, regardless? Or... Am I doing my thing my way, occasionally reaching out, asking him to become involved? Am I walking by faith or in the flesh? Am I supernatural or natural? Am I living my life by the spirit or by sight? You know, people may be boring. Churches may be boring. From time to time, I may be boring. But Jesus, he is never boring. Life with him is always on fire. Faith in Jesus in the midst of all that is going on is critical to a meaningful life. It's critical so that we don't become overwhelmed and simply give up working to make a difference. Growth does not happen in the comfort zone. It happens only when our faith is being stretched by our situation, our circumstances, and the world around us. And some of us need a faith reset. It is good to be faith-filled, it is better to be faith-fueled. Like Habakkuk, we need to review the evidence of how faithful and powerful God has been, biblical evidence, and the evidence in your own life. Secondly, we need to renew the awe. Ask God to renew your amazement over who he is and all he has done. 
and then reaffirm your trust and your faith in him so that you can have that confidence and that assurance. And then like Habakkuk did, dream big and ask God to perform miracles, part the sea and show his power right here, right now in your life. And then go wherever God says to go and do whatever God says to do. It's one thing to pray big prayers. It is something completely different to put feet to those prayers. God is looking for people listening for his voice and ready to respond in faith. Faith Faith-filled and fueled by faith. So, why get up in the morning? Because I believe in God. Why be excited and enthusiastic? Because I believe in God. Why hope things will work out for good? Because I believe in God. Why live with confidence? Because I believe in God. Why have hope each day? Because I believe in God. Why be assured that it's okay and God knows what he's doing? (laughs) Because I believe in God. And I'm going to live my life faith-fueled, moving forward with excitement and enthusiasm because I believe in God.